The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book, and print cultures. Stamping problems. You are listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. The Hub is a space. Celebrating tenure through the community. Created by Carl Sinclair. The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. Good afternoon, uh, everybody, and welcome to our fellow in focus with uh, Professor Pramesh Lalu from the University of uh, the Western Cape. My name is Jane Olmeyer, and I'm director of the Trinity Long Room Hub, our research institute uh, uh, in the arts and humanities at Trinity College in Dublin. Um, for those of you who don't know the hub, uh, we do three things in the hub. We celebrate the excellence of the arts and humanities in Trinity. We promote conversations across disciplines and we have a very vibrant public humanities program. But we also are very fortunate to have a fabulous uh, visiting research fellow program. And the whole purpose of these fellow and focus conversations is to allow us to uh, chat in a very informal and relaxed way with our fellows. Because of um, the current pandemic, uh, Trinity is obviously shut, the hub is shut, we're all uh, uh, on our porches, in our kitchens, in our living rooms, uh, uh, operating virtually. And so we were trying to do our best to uh, uh, connect with uh, certainly some of our past fellows, because many of our uh, current fellows weren't able to, to join us, though some are still in Trinity. And the fellowship programme, it really connects the hub to amazing researchers around the world and it's a very important part of our world uh, in Dublin and we want to make it a very important part of our, our world virtually uh, during this uh, lockdown. We are operating virtually. We had some technical issues yesterday. There was a bad storm uh, uh, basically uh, uh, in Donegal and it knocked my Wi-Fi out totally, but hopefully uh, today's a better day and things will go smoothly. Uh, and don't worry, we'll carry on regardless. As long as we have Premish, we have a discussion and uh, somebody will substitute for me if I go. Um, the format is as usual. Premish and I will have a conversation um, for about 25 minutes or so, and then we'll open the floor for questions and a very warm welcome to everybody who is joining us in the Zoom room and those of you who are joining us through our live stream. Uh, hopefully there are many people from around the world uh, 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 sharing this conversation just now. Uh, we will come to your questions, uh, as I say, a little bit later. But let me now just briefly introduce uh, Pramesh Lalu and then uh, let our conversation begin. So Pramesh is a professor of history at the University of uh, uh, the Western Cape. And uh, he's published, uh, uh, I mean, some very, very important works. The one that I think um, resonates particularly uh, in an Irish context is post-apartheid uh, South Africa and the shape of re the recurring pasts. Uh, but, but that's just one of a number of very, very important and influential uh, uh, publications. Premish also until very recently headed up the equivalent of the hub the uh, UWC uh, Humanities uh, Centre. Uh, he also um, is the driving force uh, behind an extraordinarily innovative and important programme on the study of the humanities uh, in Africa. Um, he's very engaged globally and um, uh, Premish and I sit together 
on uh, the advisory board for the Consortium of Humanities uh, Institutes and Centres. So that's given me this very privileged insight into the uh, phenomenal global presence uh, that Premesh Lalu is, and obviously such a major public intellectual uh, in, in Africa uh, as well as elsewhere in, in the world. Uh, we were extremely privileged when Premesh spent three months with us this time last year almost. He was uh, with us in, in January, February, uh, March 2019. Um, he uh, was a phenomenal fellow in the hub. And so today, We'll talk a little bit about uh, some of the research that came out of um, Premish's time in Ireland. Uh, but I'd like uh, to start, Premish, by just simply welcoming you um, and saying how lovely it is to see you. Um, and tell us a little bit about the current situation uh, in uh, Cape Town, in South Africa, and literally, where are you? Well, thank you very much, uh, Jane. Firstly, let me say the privilege was mine. I was really, really appreciative uh, for the opportunity uh, a year ago to spend some time in Dublin at the Hub, which is an incredible space uh, in the global humanities. Um, and greetings to all my friends at the Hub as well. Um, I'm in Cape Town uh, under lockdown. Um, I haven't left home for weeks. I mean, it, it seems like infinity. Um, but I spent the day today um, reading tributes to a former um, uh, a treason trialist who spent, who was one of the top six treason trialists, Dennis Goldberg, who passed away. Uh, he was quite ill, passed away at the age of 87. Um, and uh, Dennis was a remarkable figure in South African uh, politics, but also you know, a leader of particular temperament that you know, has proven to be absolutely necessary for how we deal with the current crisis in this country. So we've been blessed to have um, uh, a political leadership that has taken hold of this crisis. And in the spirit of someone like Dennis Goldberg has approached a very difficult situation with care and sensitivity. And that doesn't mean that there haven't been difficulties. There have been many difficulties, but at least there's been a focused leadership around the, the COVID crisis one that takes into account the discrepancies and difficulties of South African society, but one that also understands what it means to preserve life in this moment. And so, so we've been very, very grateful for a leadership that is coherent in its response to the crisis. We've also had a wonderful display of scientific engagement around this crisis. And, you know, we are guided by a very important scientist, uh, Professor Salim Karim. We lost in the early days of the COVID crisis, as it was taking hold, Gita, um, uh, a professor who had worked on the HIV AIDS vaccine um, and had been in London and contracted the virus and, and passed away. So we lost a very, very important figure in our scientific community. But uh, Professor Salim Karim has really guided the, the national interest here in a way that has been been welcome but also very uh, important for for the coherent response that we have we have about 5300 just over 5300 infections in south africa the largest infection rate is in cape town uh, there are predictions max price has predicted in an article that the worst is yet to come uh, but that the lockdown may have proven uh, very very beneficial in the long will prove very beneficial in the long run in other words it might have uh, flatten the curve, as they as they say. 
And, and so, you know, we are dealing with a crisis that is compounded by the extensive uh, infection rates of, uh, in our population, HIV AIDS infections um, and tuberculosis. And so, you know, there's a big worry when, you know, all of these start coagulating in, the, in, in communities, you know, what kinds of uh, consequences we're going to be dealing with. That said, you know, we're also sitting with a huge catastrophe inherited partly from apartheid of, you know, massive poverty, inequality, um, uh, you know, living through the ruins of apartheid, if you like. And so, you know, we've had to attend to many, many facets as we think about this crisis. And what it's shown up is, you know, both a political will, it's shown up a deep sense of belonging and care in various, at various levels of community and civil community organizations and civil society. And it's reactivated a sensibility that we had somehow lost track of in the 90s, um, in the kind of immediate aftermath of the first democratic elections, um, and, and regained some of that sense of what it means to belong and what it means to work in relation to each other to grapple and deal with very difficult circumstances. So I'm, I'm optimistic that we have done the right thing. Uh, we're part of a, a massive effort uh, at various levels in society to make sure that we, we, you know, we work through this difficulty, that we come out on the other side, and that we are able to rebuild uh, the society. So, you know, let's see how far we get uh, over the next few months. But, the, you know, there is a worry that the worst is yet to come, uh, mm -hmm. not only to South Africa, but to the continent. And the WHO has just released a report earlier today saying that, you know, the numbers are beginning to increase, numbers of infections are beginning to increase across the continent. Um, I want to just say four things, if I may, that, you know, intrigued me about what's happened around uh, the COVID-19 crisis, uh, crisis. The one is that it's quite clear that the vocabularies that we have has shifted quite dramatically. And, and it's going to be interesting to see which vocabularies we hold on to and which we reinvent in the wake of this, this catastrophe. And I suspect that the large questions, there are many questions and very large questions around freedom, democracy, the public sphere, you know, these are going to be important for humanities scholars uh, to be involved in, to engage in. And so there's, you know, we have our work cut out for ourselves in the next, in the coming months. Uh, the second, we're going to have to rebuild our public institutions. Uh, many of them are suffering under the burden and weight of this uh, crisis. And we're going to have to reconstitute these because these are the bedrock of our democratic uh, futures, um, both in, in South Africa, in Ireland, but also in general across the world. And then thirdly, I want to say, you know, we've got some work in the universities. We're going to have to reimagine the purpose and the mission of the university in its global context. And we need to understand that we can no longer build the university through the old idiom of the conflict of the faculties. So we're going to have to reimagine the university system. So I'm under lockdown. I'm doing lots of serious thinking, I hope. Uh, some might say I'm just, you know, uh, you know, I'm not doing very serious work, but uh, I do think this is a time that calls for, for some thought about how we, we think ahead. Oh, absolutely, Pramesh. It's very um, heartening, actually, to hear the story of South Africa and how the political leadership and the scientific leadership has worked hand in hand. Because at one level, of course, 
the world is fearing the worst, but you're actually showing how it should and can be done. Um, and, you know, we look especially across the US to the US and the UK and how it shouldn't be done. So, you know, it's fantastic to hear that. I want to come back to two of those three very, very insightful comments you've just made about the crisis. Um, you work at a university that is very close to our hearts here in Ireland. It's the University of Karasmal, who, of course, was the press of law here in Trinity. And um, I think it has created a very special bond between UWC and uh, Trinity. We have Karasmal fellowships. He's very fondly remembered. And obviously, then... Uh, he led the anti-apartheid movement uh, here, here in Ireland, um, went back to South Africa, became a government minister. Uh, apparently the South African constitution, part of it was written on his kitchen table uh, uh, here in South Dublin. You know, anyway, so, so there is this very special connectivity. And I, for one, am very pleased that we've got these personal relationships, but through a project called Isagoria, which is about deliberative and participatory democracies, we in Trinity, along with 12 other partners, are working with you and your colleagues at uh, UWC to actually explore some of these incredibly important issues around freedom, uh, democracy, the public sphere. Um, uh, because I think it's critical that we have these global conversations. Now, we put that grant together before it was pre-COVID really. Um, it's become even more important now, uh, uh, post-COVID uh, 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 premise. So again, I, and I think it also brings, us to, brings me to, to the question that I have for you. It's what we as historians, as humanists, but also you're very engaged in the whole creative arts world. What we have to bring to the conversation uh, at the moment, apart from, if you want, holding uh, uh, institutions and political leaders to account, asking awkward questions. I I'd love you to reflect a little bit more on the contribution that the arts and humanities can make. All right. No, thank Shane. You know, I I'm slightly embarrassed to say that very few of us understood when Kada returned to South Africa and insisted that we pay attention to what we shared with the Irish uh, in the struggle against colonialism, but also in the struggles to build democratic futures. And, you know, we always thought this was just because that was his second home, you know. Um, but actually, when I spent time in Dublin, I realized that the connections are much, much more significant than, than we made out. And I think that uh, there, there are many, many possibilities of thinking together about what a post-1990 world looks like. I think we're dealing with the consequences of that world now with this pandemic. I think it's showing up all the, uh, the weaknesses that have, um, that have unfolded in the space of public institutions, from hospitals right through to you know, uh, universities and, and the like, educational institutions. Um, and so you know, the, there's a way in which the two uh, societies, Ireland and South Africa, hold up a promise uh, that I want to talk a little bit later about when in my kind of encounters with Seamus Heaney and my subsequent research on Heaney. Um, you know, that, that is about the kind of poetics of, of hope, of thinking about what a future might, might be, about anticipating what that hope might be uh, and how to craft it. Um, so I do think that there's much that is shared. 
I, I worry that what we lost in the process of the democratic transition in South Africa is an understanding of how important the aesthetic would be in imagining a post-apartheid future. And so when Heaney wrote that poem, which is contained in the Cure at Troy, and which was uh, performed by Field Day uh, Company um, in 1990, and you will recall that it was dedicated to Mandela, that particular excerpt. He is asking us to think about hope in a very profound way, in a very, you know, not in an obvious sense, not as an American uh, election slogan, but as a profound way of reorienting our senses and our global humanity. Um, it's a big ask. He's not asking for, a, you know, for us to make a minor adjustment. He's asking us to make a fundamental change to our perspective on the human and the world that the human occupies, its relation to other species and so on. Um, and so I you know, have taken great inspiration from, that, from my visit to, to Ireland. I, I, my colleagues now, like the way you know, Kada was misunderstood, I think my colleagues misunderstand the point I make about how important Ireland is for South Africa, or to think South Africa through Ireland and the predicament of Ireland. Um, that said, you know, I think that uh, at the university that I'm at, there's been a very strong commitment to work in relation to Trinity, uh, to think together about the future of democracy. And that is part of our shared legacy um, through you know, the Kada Asmal connection, but also the political transitions that both of our societies have experienced at one time or the other. And, and so in that sense, you know, I was in a meeting earlier today with uh, colleagues in our executive who are very, very committed to following through on the Future of Democracy project to figure out, you know, how do we remake public institutions as critical components of a democratic project in the future? So we are thinking along two broad lines. You know, as a university, apartheid put us on the edge of the city where we were offered no views and we were, prepared, we were presented as the university that would have no views to offer. But what we've done is to, in some sense, be more courageous than, than the kind of than what the apartheid state had imagined for our university. And what we've done is to try and constitute a project in the arts and a project in the area of advanced studies that would begin bringing together the arts and the sciences into a conversation about our shared commitments to the fu a future freedom. Um, and in that sense, you know, we can't, this is not a question that we're going to solve in South Africa alone. This is a question that will have to be a question that is posed in relation to other experiences and other uh, experiments elsewhere in the world. Not only on the African continent, important though that may be, but also in other post-colonial settings and in other settings where there have been huge struggles with the kind of, uh, with, with, with remaking societies and, and transitions. And so, so, you know, we are excited about the prospects of working with Trinity and colleagues there. And in the three months I spent there, I, you know, the numerous conversations that I had and all the trouble I may have caused, um, I'm hoping that that would lead to a solid, you know, set of commitments around these uh, initiatives that will help us to build solidarities across the, the two spaces, but more importantly, to develop new intellectual visions for what we do as humanists and as historians. 
Thank you, uh, Pramesh. I want to come to Heaney in just a moment, but if I could just remind those of you who are tuning in, we'd love your questions. In a few minutes, we'll turn to the floor. So please use the Q&A uh, uh, feature and, and I'll ask Pramesh your questions in a moment. But before I do that, Pramesh, um, we were blessed with Warhorse came to Dublin and um, Handspring Puppets. Obviously, I'd love you, you know, and, and thanks to you, many of us got to go and really, really enjoyed that performance. But again, I, I love the work that you're doing uh, with puppets um, in, you know, very, very challenging circumstances. And obviously, can you tell us just very, maybe briefly about the work you're doing with Handspring and the archive? And then let's turn to Heaney again. So very quickly, you know, one of the uh, or three of the projects imagined for the new arts facility that we're building in the city um, and which is motivated by the way in which the post-apartheid has really trapped young people in the geographies of apartheid um, and to try and create some opportunities for mobility across the old racial divides of apartheid. Uh, what we've imagined for that space are three projects. One is a project for a next generation of puppeteers who have come out of the making of the war horse and who have set up their own theater company called Ukwanda Puppetry and Design Collective. So under the mentorship of the great puppeteers of Handspring to continue a tradition of puppeteering, but that takes into account the relation between subjects and objects. So there's a, a, a theoretical underpinning to what is a very playful experiment at some level. And what they've done is produced quite significant works of their own that look at human uh, um, and non-human relations. So they look at the relation, for example, with um, uh, you know, the decimation of ecologies in a rural area three hours outside of Cape Town and see whether the theater might lend itself not only to interpreting that, that condition, but also to see where our vulnerabilities lie in respect of those, those predicaments. So that's the one though. So the work with Handspring has been an ongoing partnership. It's a very critical and crucial partnership, but it has inspired us to think again about what is the relation in the co-evolution between the human and technology that has altered in our time. And if we don't get to that question, we're going to be overwhelmed by the prosthetic devices that surround us now. And when crises like, crises like this arise, we have no human response uh, other than to, to, you know, to wonder how this emerged and, and arose. So I think the work with Handspring has given us a certain texture with which to work, a sensibility uh, about how one brings you know, the object and the subject into a new relationship. So that's going to be one project. We're working on a second project, which is to build a documentary film program um, and I'm at the moment, I'm a student in the documentary film class. I'm, I'm a very troublesome student, so I, I'm not going to, to say anything more about that. Um, but we, we, you know, we're wondering, why is it in Africa we have an expansive proliferation of uh, documentary film, but we have very few science documentaries, for example. So our scientists are not being trained to make documentary films that would help to translate some of the nuances and intricacies of their own disciplinary undertakings. So the other project is to build a documentary film project. And then the third is to think about, you know, the, the idea of jazz and Cape Town uh, as a great place to think about the, the musical forms of the Indian and Atlantic Ocean worlds. So, so in that sense, you know, we're gonna plug this, you know, project and, you know, figure out what a new constellation 
uh, of the arts looks like in our times. I think that's so exciting uh, and that's very, I, anyway, we could, we could have a longer conversation there, Pramesh. I want to ask one last question and then there's others want to get in here. And it is to come back to Heaney because you referred to Curate Troy. Um, it's funny, for all the autumn we had um, Let Hope and History Rhyme, it was on our window, you know, our lovely window in the hub, 20,000 people a day walk past that window. And of course, as you said, Heaney wrote that at a moment of intense hope. Mandela had been released uh, uh, from incarceration. The Berlin Wall had come down. Um, there were velvet revolutions across Europe. And so much of Heaney's work just informs our world in such a profound way. And I remember when you were with us going to visit Balachi, uh, uh, the homestead, and of course that fabulous exhibition that the National Library has in the Bank of Ireland. So in terms of, will you just reflect a little bit on how Heaney has influenced your current research? And then we'll open uh, the floor to some questions. You know, I was so inspired by that visit to that museum that I haven't stopped talking about <laughs> or the exhibition that was opposite Trinity College that had been at the, the adjacent to the Bank of Ireland. Um, you know, I find that poem and that cure at Troy so important because in some sense, Philoctetes, who is the subject of that play, like Mandela, was also abandoned on an island and, you know, was brought back from that island to introduce a new set of possibilities, you know? And I worry about how much of that we've squandered in the years since Heaney and Mandela uh, introduced us to that, to that moment of hope. But there's an earlier moment that, uh, you know, has intrigued me. And that is, you know, the final day of my stay in Dublin, I rushed over to the National Gallery and I managed to get a glimpse of an image by Francis Danby called the opening of the sixth seal. Danby was an abolitionist, uh, anti-slavery, he was an a anti-slavery campaigner. And that work, which is an apocalyptic sublime, you know, to the best of my knowledge, is so important because at the heart of that work is the image of the slaves, is an image of a slave, arms outstretched to the heavens um, and unshackled. And that's the same promise in some sense that we found in 1990 that, you know, was captured in that work of art in 1834. Unfortunately, in 1843, someone walked into, that, uh, into a gallery and cut out and mutilated the painting and cut out the slave. And it was interesting, when I was at the National Gallery, someone said to me, do you see the stitch running through the painting? So I opened my book with a conversation uh, with Danby and Hanting, uh, with Heaney. And, I, and I'm, I'm intrigued by you know, that the two ends of that spectrum. 1834, the end of slavery, and 1990, the promise of the end of racism, as we know it. And, you know, in both those moments, there was a flourish of, of possibility and opportunity. And I want to track what happened to that, that resource. And I want to ask whether there's something about that resource which we might recuperate rather than squander in our times. So the book is an attempt to, to think all of that on a big canvas through, you know, four plays by William Kentridge that offer us not only an opportunity to flee from the history of race, but to escape it. You know, it, it sounds amazing. And I'm so happy that your time in Dublin 
has proved so influential uh, around your thinking. And needless to say, I'm not going to ask when you hope to have it done. We all hate being asked that question, but hopefully, Premesh, it'll be soon, simply because I, I, I think- a year, year more of lockdown, and I'll get it done. <laughs> it's called a sabbatical. Anyway, yeah. listen, I want to turn, there's lots of lovely messages, both in the chat function and the Q&A, many of them from your friends here in Dublin. I know people like uh, uh, Daryl Rooney uh, is, 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 is joining us, or uh, Porik Carmody uh, from Geography. Anyway, my first question is actually from Eve Patton. Um, and it, it, first thing Eve says is, can I reassure you, Premish, that the death of Dennis Goldberg is receiving uh, attention, both in Ireland and the UK. And obviously we share your, your sense of utter loss. Um, Eve's question is, how can we reimagine a public sphere post COVID-19 as you uh, envision without it being limited to a university elite that is really just talking to itself so now i've got a lot of questions premise but so maybe rather than taking a lot if we just go through them as quickly as you can without rushing you so do you want to just take that one first Eve, thank you very much and i know we were meant to meet in cape town in march um so we you know that plan still has to be to be affected in one way or the other um I want to say that, you know, I think what we've lost track of is a concept of communication. I think there was a, the revolution that I was talking about in the 1830s that started that Danby in some sense, uh, that his work was, uh, was, was, was concerned about and was worried about. That in some sense, that revolution in science produced the conditions of communication um, that, we, that we live under today. And, you know, there are various, important scientific figures, including John Herschel, who ended up at the Cape to map the Southern skies, uh, you know, Babbage at Cambridge University, and a range of others who participated in the founding of that scientific revolution in communication and communication technologies as such. What I worry about is our easy ways in which we resort to, the, to, the, to Zoom to figure out how we're going to communicate. But actually what we ought to be doing is starting the question that I was raising earlier is which are the vocabularies that we hope will survive this uh, crisis and in other words you know what do we want to hold on to in our intellectual uh, pursuits and our interests that will help us to think about rearranging the terms of the social uh, in, in which we want to participate so I don't think there's going to be a quick fix. You know, this is you know, a way in which we're going to have to reinvent the arenas of communication and the possibilities for us to talk about what we share, but not in common. So Eve, it's, it's a great question. I hope that you know, at some point we'd have an opportunity to rethink you know, this problem of communication in relation to an expansion in technological temporal objects. I think that you know, we have not done enough to think about what the digital has done in our time. And, and we need to sit back and think carefully about how to reorient the co-evolution of the human and technology. Actually, and that brings me very nicely to a question uh, from Ellie Payne, again, whom you know. Um, uh, she said, just wondered how the South African response to COVID-19 is being presented in the South African media and perceived by the South African public? And how are the rest of the world's efforts being portrayed? Can you say a little bit about that, Pramesh? Yes, so, I mean, we, uh, you know, there's a very vibrant uh, public sphere in the, in the space of 
you know, newspapers and news coverage. Um, so if you glance at just a few sites, Daily Maverick, um, but also, you know, uh, some of the other sites uh, that, that are, you know, that have raised questions about, you know, what's the military doing in the townships and, you know, what are the consequences of having the military in the township, or the police and so on and so forth. What are the, you know, what's the extent of hunger in our society? Because you can imagine, I mean, this has led to a big problem of food distribution and, and you know, a growing sense of, of worry about, about the extent of hunger in the society. Um, and so there's a very, very lively discussion. No one is spared. I mean, there's a big debate about where the politicians, despite what I said earlier, are actually making the right decisions, not about the lockdown, but about supporting society to, to, to live through this moment. And so, you know, the questions about unemployment, about, uh, you know, creating an unemployment grant, is it sufficient? You know, is the money that has been set aside to support people for a basic income grant, is that sufficient? That debate is alive and well, and it is reflective of what happened under apartheid. That, that was the energy that was, you know, presented to us uh, at the height of the struggle against apartheid. It's been rekindled, and I'm happy to say that it's generated a very, very lively set of engagements. Uh, there's also a very strong local set of uh, initiatives. Um, and so local communities are organizing to make sure that, you know, people are taken care of, that, you know, there's no uh, shortages of food and so on and so forth. So we've got a long way. The international coverage on South Africa has been very weak. I think BBC and, you know, a few others, I, I worry about how they read African uh, societies. And uh, Elia, I know where your question is coming from. I think there's this, your research is going to be particularly important for us to understand how the media functions in moments like this. Um, but I do think, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's lots of attention being paid to what's happening around the world. South Africa has actually been very good at making sure that it is tapped into the WHO networks to understand what the global landscape looks like. Pramesh, uh, listen, I, we're running out of time, but there's a, a, maybe a slightly related question here from Giovanna Lima. She's asking uh, how racism has showed itself during the pandemic in South Africa. Uh, Giovanna Lima's in the hub now, but she comes to us from Brazil. And also uh, Ter Tara P uh, Pegram, I'm not sure where Tara's um, uh, zooming in from, but do you believe that COVID-19 is furthering gender inequality or highlighting it uh, even more? It, it's just an elaboration of what you've been saying, maybe. Yeah, look, this, what this has revealed, and COVID-19 has revealed the huge discrepancies, not only that we inherited from apartheid, but that has happened globally, uh, and you know, with, the, with local consequences of neoliberal solutions to our contemporary crisis. So the weakening of institutions, of hospitals, the deprofessionalization of the medical profession, um, you know, a range of, of symptoms are beginning to show up as a result of this crisis. And the head of our state, Cyril Ramaphosa, the other day said, you know, we, we're getting a good sense of how, what inequality really looks like in society in South Africa. And we are one of the most unequal societies in the world, and we should be ashamed of that. You know, because we've had a long period since the end of the, uh, apartheid to begin to whittle away at the kind of racial configurations uh, that, 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 that have burdened our society. And so, you know, what I think is being shown up here is not only the discrepancies and the huge, you know, 
uh, inequalities on along lines of race, but also the intricate kind of crises uh, surrounding gender inequalities, uh, violence against women, and so on and so forth. What we need here is a way to not only think about what is being revealed, but how it is we're going to tackle some of these questions now. In other words, there, there's a clearing, a ground clearing, if you like, which has been, it's unfortunate that it should come at such a cost, but that will allow us to begin thinking again and thinking ahead about how we reconstitute public institutions uh, and, and the public sphere, that it is more empowered to deal with similar situations in future. So the worry for me is the kind of neoliberal decimation of public institutions and the public sphere, which has been revealed here as the catastrophe of the human in our times. Mm. Again, such profound uh, and provocative and I mean, thought-provoking uh, responses here. I'm going to try and fit in two more questions. One from Chris Pastore, of course, who was a fellow. Uh, Chris, nice to hear from you. Uh, uh, Chris uh, was a, a fellow with us um, in the Hub last year too. I hope you're doing okay um, back uh, uh, in the US. So, so Chris is saying, wonderful talk, Pramesh. Uh, and he said, you mentioned reimagining the university in a global context, pushing beyond the disciplinary boundaries that have long shaped scholarship. How do we make that happen? <laughs> can you, Chris, again, yes. maybe quite briefly, so I can get in another one if possible. Chris, you know, I, I mean, one thing to talk about is that there's an issue of critical times. And the article that I was working on when I was at the Hub on what is the university for is published there alongside several others from elsewhere in the world. I think some of those are very critical uh, starting points for our conversation. I want to ask just one, one quick response, Chris. Perhaps what we ought to be doing in the humanities is asking whether we can rethink the structure of the humanities PhD, not to lessen its demand, perhaps to even increase what we, what we want out of a humanities PhD. And what I've encountered in the space of the documentary film program that we're trying to launch is that there might be kind of supplementary methodologies and technologies that we might redeploy in the space of the PhD that will give us another way to think about this bigger question that I'm talking about called communication. So rather than think of those as baseline questions, what I'm asking for is a radical reworking of the organization of the humanities PhD as it opens itself to the other, you know, kind of major contender for, for hegemony in the university, which is unfortunate, and that's the disciplines of the sciences. So we need to bring those two in a much more carefully uh, choreographed uh, conversation. And again, that's music to our ears in terms of what we're trying to do in the hub, Pramesh. So, and I'm going to give the last question to Daryl Rooney, um, who uh, was, I was going to say, your, your guide to Dublin. He, he was my mentor. Yeah. <laughs> Pramesh, your observations on Heaney and Mandela have reminded me of the effects of isolation and cultural production. Um, uh, interested to hear your thoughts on the potential effects of isolation, confinement, quarantine on literature, art, documentaries, films, and how they express the nature of the human condition? Another yeah. big question to end on, Pramesh. Well, and you know, we have an artist in residence program and, and there are many artists in our artist forum who are grappling with this question because the performative is a public uh, process, you know? Um, and so, you know, one thinks about audiences 
as a very as a basic condition for artistic work and creativity. Um, I do think, though, that what we ought to be doing here is while we have this this window of opportunity, because we will get to a point where the performance will will happen, is that we got to ask ourselves what an aesthetic theory might help us do in this moment. And yeah, I'm reflecting on what Adorno and others did in the 1930s at the height of fascism. They were asking this question, you know, whether aesthetic theory might give us a handle on the truth content of the work of art and offer us an opportunity to rethink the relation between history and freedom. And so I think we must take the time to ask ourselves how indispensable the aesthetic is for the kinds of worlds that we want to imagine and build. And I think if we do that together with artists, we would be creating part of this vocabulary that I'm talking about that might be necessary for get us, getting us out of the crisis we're in. Uh, again, thank you, Pramesh. I think, again, you cut to the chase there. Rita Duffy is in residence in the hub, and we have found that her ability to cut to the chase through all of this it, and the insights that that brings is incredibly empowering, actually, as well as deeply uh, uh, insightful. So I, there's lots more questions, but we're out of time. But I do want to thank, um, uh, we've got a lovely message from, I'm, I'm assuming your colleague, uh, Umesh uh, 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 oh. Bawa. Yeah, he says, UWC is fully committed to deepening our connection with Trinity, both through extending its historical partnership and also in extending uh, the South Africa Irish human rights agenda worldwide. So thank you very much for that. There's lots of lovely messages for you, Pramesh, uh, from all of your friends here in Ireland. Uh, needless to say, we would love to see you back in the hub at any point, or we might just have to come to South Africa to I see you. Everyone's promised me a visit, so I think we should start there. <laughs> Before we thank you in the customary way, I just have a few announcements. This conversation ties in brilliantly with a, five, uh, uh, a series of five workshops that we're running on rethinking democracy in an age of pandemic. The first one uh, was yesterday, but they are at 4.30 on Wednesday afternoons. And the next one, uh, which is on Wednesday, the 6th of May at 4.30, is on uh, marginalised uh, groups. So picking up some of the stuff that Pramesh has been saying. And then the one on the 13th of May is on inequality. And again, dealing with so many of the issues that we have touched on uh, today. Um, I, I very much hope people will be able to join us uh, for those. They'll be live streamed. We also are delighted to be opening registration soon for a performance. We also have a theatre troupe in residence, uh, Premesh, inspired by the work that you do in your own centre, an amazing theatre group called Rough Magic. And they've been working with our neuroscientists on a play on choirs. So um, we are going to be uh, doing a virtual performance um, with uh, Lynn Parker and Rough Magic. That's going to be on the 7th of May, uh, also a lunchtime slot, probably one o'clock. And last but not least, and again, because it's so relevant to what we've just been saying, our science and art reading group, um, it's Botany and Barriers is the next uh, one uh, with uh, Mary Dillon. Uh, and that's on the 7th of May at 6.30. But I would encourage everybody to sign up to the Trinity Long Room Hub uh, 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 website. Uh, we're sending out a weekly uh, email uh, with our events and everybody, as you know, is extraordinarily welcome. 
And I just simply want to close uh, by thanking you again, Pramesh. It's just been the most inspiring conversation. You bring energy uh, and hope uh, into our lives at this extraordinary moment um, of lockdown. Uh, we don't know what the world's gonna be like when we emerge from this, but what you've given us is so much to think about and, and how we can all by working together create a world that we all want to live in and and that's such a powerful message so on behalf of everybody in the trinity long run hub everybody who's online um, i'd like to uh, thank you and everybody who has made today possible our audience our wonderful questions and the team uh, who works so hard to make these things run smoothly so Thank you very much, Premish. Uh, uh, everybody, give Premish a big round of applause. Thank you. Stay Thank well, you. everybody, and bye bye. Bye bye, Premish. The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book, and print cultures, stamping provenance Languages towards the history of the Time of Year Library. As well as being heard. The Hub is a space. Contemplating Ireland through the communities this created by Coral Sea. The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. The rise of feminism. Here's to the next 10 